Do you feel stuck in your life, career, or business? And are you ready to take things to the next level? If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is David Trotter, and I'm a transformation coach passionate about helping people just like you rise above your biggest barriers to reach your greatest goals. My superpower is helping people experience tremendous breakthroughs in a short period of time. If you give me 12 weeks, I'll help you launch that new project, go after that better job, or overcome that challenge in your business. To find out how I can help you, head on over to insporising.com slash coach. That's insporising.com slash coach. I, I want to show up in my life in every aspect, whether it's my career, my relationships, my physical fitness from I get to, I choose to. Because when I have to, that makes me victim to ex- every, the world around me. Welcome to Inspiration Rising. My name is David Trotter, and I'm a business growth consultant. I'm passionate about helping business owners just like you rise above your biggest barriers to reach your greatest goals, all without the paralyzing overwhelm, feeling all alone, or wondering what the heck to do next. I'm a former pastor and a serial entrepreneur who's passionate about personal growth because that's what's helped me cultivate peace in my life and empowered me to love my amazing wife, Laura, of 26 years and our two almost grown kids. So if you're all about business, personal growth, and peace in your life, you're in the right place. I'm super glad that you're here. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Inspiration Rising. Question of the day, why are we talking about SEX on a business podcast? Yes, that is the question. Well, many of us are having it or want to have it, or have given up on having it, or nervous about it. But most of us never talk about it openly. And the way we were raised directly shapes our view of not only sexuality, but gender. And especially if you were raised in a religious or spiritual family, where all of those concepts were interwoven And ultimately, the way we were raised and the way that we see gender and sexuality ultimately impacts all of our lives, including our business. All right, now enter Kat Harris. She is not afraid to talk about challenging subjects. She was a Bible major in college. She is an editorial photographer, which means she takes fancy pictures, okay? Incredible photographer. And she is the host of the Refined Collective podcast. And now she's the author of the brand new book coming out April 20th, 2021, Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. She is a virgin and she's like, I don't know, I... I shouldn't talk about age here, but she's not like 16, all right? She's a woman, and she does not shy away from talking about things that could be hmm, a little challenging. Yep, yep. I'm telling you, this interview, we went there. We talked about all things gender, all things sexuality, and we even talked about the big M. 
Yes, we did. Okay, you're going to be very stretched, I think, by this conversation. And I encourage you just to hang in there because she's got some unique perspectives. I've read the book, Sexless in the City. I think it's an incredible resource. Now, I will tell you, she is coming from a Christian perspective. And so that is interwoven in our conversation. But no matter what your background or perspective is in terms of spirituality, you are definitely going to be uh, stretched and inspired, and it'll cause you to think about sexuality and gender perhaps in some new ways. All right. So before we jump in, I do want to remind you, if you're not already subscribed to the Inspiration Rising podcast, will you please, 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 please click subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening on. If you're listening on our website, hey, that's great, but open up a podcast app, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, all the different podcast apps, Stitcher, Spotify, we're on all of them. Search Inspiration Rising, click subscribe, and then tell a friend. Yeah, tell them about Inspiration Rising, especially this episode, because I'm going to tell you, they are going to love this one. All right, hey, let's jump into my conversation with Kat Harris. Well, Kat, thanks so much for taking some time to hang with me today. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to be talking with you, David. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. Well, my first question is, how did we get here? (laughs) <laughs> okay, how did how did we get into this conversation where I'm talking with a 35? Am I mm-hmm. right? 35? Yep, I don't want right. to out you on your age, you know. Hey, but, uh, I am loud and proud about my age. Nothing to be ashamed about. Okay, good, good. 35-year-old <laughs> virgin on my podcast talking about sex. Um, and I've been married 26 years and I'm going to be 48 this year. So I can, I don't know if I'm as loud and proud about my age. I feel kind of like, geez, I'm almost halfway done with life. Hey, you never know people in the biblical times, they lived hundreds of years. So hundred, hundred is my deal. (laughs) Hundred. On my hundred, you got it. Blow out the candles and then just keel over and die. Peace out. You did. Um, (laughs) So how did we get here? Like, give me the twisty attorney backstory on why we're talking about this today. This is kind of crazy. Why you and I are talking or why Sure. Why I'm talking about sex in my book. <laughs> yes, that too. All of the things. Well, gosh, I mean, how did we get here? H- how I got here is I grew up in the conservative south and what state? In Texas. I like I to say I grew up in Kentucky. Okay, so Southern, all the Ish. things. So for, for me, I like to say I didn't grow up in a religious home, but being in the South, Christianity was sort of the air I breathed. Mm-hmm. And so I learned a, a script, a set of rules about <clears throat> my body, about sex, physical intimacy, dating. And there was a big movement in the late 90s, early 2000s called the purity movement. And I was a part of that. And it was this loud declaration of I'm saving myself until marriage. Did you have a ring? And I had the, I had the ring. I had everything. And I never really questioned that. And for years, I went from 
Texas. I was a Bible major in college, moved to Southern California to pursue the nonprofit world, somehow stumbled into the photography fashion industry. That was about 12 years ago. I then started my own photography business, moved to New York City about seven years ago. And that process started a business called The Refined Woman, where I aim to equip women to walk in their worth and value through storytelling. And in that process, when I moved to New York City, I realized something. Uh, I have never questioned why I have hold this value of abstinence, essentially. Mm -hmm. And honestly, David, it was never really hard for me. I never really thought twice about it because I didn't date a lot. And then welcome to New York. I dated more in a decade than I did in a I dated more in a year than I did in a decade <laughs> and that I realized things like, wow, it's a lot harder not to have sex when you're actually dating. And I kind of got to this crossroads in my life where I really needed to figure out what I believed outside of an external script that I had been given. Was there anything compelling me in my sex or not sexless life. And so I went on a journey to figure out what I believed about it all. And, and then I didn't share it publicly at all. And then a couple of years ago, the cat got out of the bag on a podcast interview that I've kind of gone on this journey. And then the rest is history. <laughs> so you were going through this process of uh, wrestling with this, um, you call it an external script, kind of this belief among um conservative Christians of, you know, no sex before marriage. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in that same environment, but a little bit prior to that, didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't have sex before, uh, marriage. Um, and yet I think I didn't question it. I definitely didn't question it like you did. Cause I got married super young at like 21. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have as much time to kind of like start unpacking and going, wow, why am I doing this again? Yeah. Um, so as you were unpacking it, you didn't share it. Did you share it with close friends or family members? Oh, yeah. Or you did. Oh, okay. yeah. And, and when I say I didn't share it, I didn't share it publicly mm -hmm. because I, we live in this time where we think everyone on the internet is entitled to every aspect and crack and crevice of our lives. And for me, it feels really important to live my life in real time with real people, with trusted community. Bef and live my process before making it a public teaching point. Mm -hmm. And so I, oh, oh man, David, I was, I've read, I read dozens of books. I was that girl at a party or at a bar that was like, what were you taught about your body and sex growing <laughs> up? <laughs> what do you believe now and why? And I asked people of faith, people who would not identify as a person of faith. I asked pastors, leaders, strangers on the subway, pretty much anyone I could talk to as, as along with doing my own research. Mm -hmm. I read books by Jewish feminists. I read books by New York Times journalists and spiritual people, non-spiritual people, scientists, just to really kind of get a holistic lens of what are we looking at here? And, and I think before I could really step forward and say, how, how do I want to live? I first had to deconstruct and identify what were the narratives I was given? What was I, what was I taught about my body, sex, desire from home, from my peers, from culture, from the church 
and how did those shape the beliefs I currently hold? And then from there, is there anything that isn't true? And are any of those beliefs, narratives rooted in fear mm-hmm. or shame? Mm-hmm. Because if they are, then that's out of alignment with what I believe. I don't believe that I was created for a fear-filled shame-filled life. So then from there, it was reconstructing, okay, so what does it look like to have a holistic, healthy sexual ethic outside of a a set of do's and don'ts and and shaming rules? Mm -hmm. So obviously, we're talking about your book today, Sexless in the City, and how you document that process and kind of share your own wisdom and uh, learnings along the way. Um, As you talked about, there were things that were either rooted in fear or shame, would you mind kind of just sharing some of those things that you, those scripts that you had been taught, I'm going to see if I was taught the same thing and, uh, you know, see if those, those fears and shame, uh, resonate with me. So you mind breaking that down a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So a few come to my mind and some are that my faith is tied to my virginity I, as a woman, am not allowed to be or am not as sexual as men are. As a woman, it's my quote-unquote job to protect the male gaze. Mm -hmm. So not only was I told to uphold my own sexual integrity, the weight of the entire male population's sexual integrity was then put on my shoulder as a woman. Mm -hmm. And And how was that? How did that, how was that uh, put on you? It was, how is it put on me? It was mm-hmm. put on me through leaders and talks, sermons, messages that said, guys struggle with lust in a way that girls don't. And first of all, says who? <laughs> says who? Well, primarily the men that were teaching the message. So I, I, I remember sitting in those and talks and being like, oh, well, I get turned on. Am I weird? Because I'm a girl that gets turned on. I was then told things like wear shorts that are fingertip length, wear baggy clothes, nothing form-fitting, bikinis are bad. And all of this in essence because guys struggle with quote-unquote lust and it's my job as a woman to protect them from that. So then I need to put cover my body in such a way to not make them struggle. And in essence, I think underneath that narrative is a message that says boys will be boys. And that really Peggy Orenstein in her book, girls and sex says something along the lines of that's only one step above saying she was asking for it. Mm -hmm. And so I think I never really questioned those narratives until my late twenties, my mid to late twenties, when I started really going on this journey and asking, you know, we have a belief whether it's, I, I have anxiety. So that's, that's the belief or the experience. And we can kind of just leave that at face value and be like, well, I'm just a person that has anxiety. That's who I am. And I'm not about that. I'm like, let's examine that. Let's pick it up. Where did that belief come from? When did I start believing it? Is that belief serving me? Are we, are we allowed to change? Yes, I believe we are allowed to change. And so for me, it was really allowing myself the permission to sit with some of these narratives and teasing them out. What's the implication of saying that it's a woman's responsibility to uphold male sexual integrity? Well, a lot of implications, one of them, in my opinion, saying that in my opinion, it's a low view of men. 
men are so weak. They're so quote unquote bad, or they have it so tough that they can't have agency over their bodies. And I just don't buy that narrative. I have a high view of men. And that doesn't mean I want to walk around town in nipple tassels or stiletto high heels naked. That's not what I'm saying. But I just think we accept these narratives without really even pausing to tease out the implications of what they really mean. Mm-hmm. And I would say to our listeners, if you're listening to this, and I obviously shared this in the intro, a lot of what Kat is talking about is, I guess you're getting an insider's view of conservative evangelical culture. You know, that's because that's really what we're talking about. And this may be foreign to you. Um, so you're kind of getting an inside sneak peek of how I would say not only in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, but even now that still that is, you know, pretty prominent in more conservative evangelical churches. Yeah. Um, Can so, I parenthesis something there? Yeah, yeah. Because I think that it's easy to think that's just in the in religious circles. Okay. However. In culture at large, women are dis- like there's a massive disparity between gender roles, equality between the sexes. And one of my all time favorite TED talks is Chiminanda Gozziadici. And this is not a faith based person. This is a woman who is saying, as a woman, when she was going to be the professor at her university, she got up for her first day of work. And thought, what can I wear today that won't threaten the men? Mm. What can I wear today that I'll be taken seriously by my male counterparts? It wasn't, is my content quality? Mm-hmm. Do Is my education up to standard? It was, what can I wear to downplay my femininity? Mm. And in reality, a man typically doesn't ever have to get dressed in the morning and go to work and think, what can I do to be less mm-hmm. of a man? Yeah. And well, so, I often, I often try to hide my muscles. Like it's just <laughs> a thing. My wife's like, Hey, can you just wear something to cover those up? <laughs> kidding, just of tone course. it down just a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah. Kidding. But of so, course. Yeah. All that to say, even we see it in shows like Bridgerton that's super popular right now on Netflix, a woman's existence in the 1800s was to come of age and get married. And a woman was supposed to be quote unquote undefiled. She couldn't even hold a guy's hand. All the men that were pursuing them were much older and allowed to run around. And I was watching that David and I felt like it's different now, but Mm -hmm. not too much. Mm -hmm. There's still a pressure on women in society to be married, to have children, to stay at home in a way that men don't have it. And I want those things. I'm not saying that they're bad, Mm -hmm. but I do think that, culture may be a little bit ahead of the religious circles, mm-hmm. but I do still, I do still taste it there too. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, in the book, you not only deconstructed, but then you started the kind of the reconstruction part. And as you started processing, what does the Bible say in terms of sexuality or gender? Like one of the thoughts that I had was, why did you even choose to reconstruct? You know what I mean? Mm. Why was why did you find that there was something of value that you would rather than just going, ah, this is just not, this is just not a good fit? Like, why did you go about the reconstruction process? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the picture I get in my my mind is I had a house of cards. 
And in my deconstruction, I, the house, well, the house of cards already started coming down. Cause you know, you, tiny, tiny breeze that starts coming down. Right. Mm-hmm. I still want a house, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it's reconstructing a frame that is, that is more sturdy and that is more solid. And so I would say, I don't think that for me, I want to live in the deconstruction. Mm-hmm. How and it's any and this can go to any parts of our lives when we're healing the trauma of our past. If I want to move forward, I have to look backwards. But the goal mm-hmm. isn't to stay in the past, right? It's to heal the past so then we can move forward. And I can only really move forward once I've done the the work of healing the past, of of discerning the past and figuring out, okay, how did I get here? Okay, thank you for everything you taught me. Now, where am I headed now and how do I walk forward? Mm-hmm. And so for me, it, it was never about, you know, let's just dismantle everything and F the system. Mm-hmm. It was, okay, there's a blueprint that's not really working. And what does work? Mm-hmm. And and what is working and what can work? And so, I mean, I would say that my, to me, my faith is important to me. And so I really, before just throwing it out, I felt like, Primarily, my problem wasn't with God. My problem was with people (laughs) and people really blowing it. So I wanted to know, is there a God story that feels really compelling? And then outside of that, you know, I think a lot of the cultural message can be, well, do what feels good. If, you know, if it, if it scratches, itch it, if you're hungry, feed it. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is definitely room and space for listening to our bodies. And I think we are a very disassociated culture and we live on our heads. So part of connecting with, okay, what do I want right now is helpful. However, when I, what I experienced in the cultural message of do whatever I, I experienced this instant gratification mentality of I want what I want when I want it. And I want it like yesterday mm-hmm. and I feel entitled to have it. And I'm not convinced that the other side of the pendulum of doing whatever I want, whenever I want is getting me is moving me towards the results I want in my life. Mm. And I, I think how you show it for one thing is how you show it for everything. So, I mean, for example, I think of when I was training for a half marathon, I would get up really early. I do not like getting up early. (laughs) I would put in my miles. And the more I got into my training, the more I started restricting certain things. I wouldn't eat cheese or bread or heavy meals before a long run. Even if I really wanted those things in the moment, and those things are good and beautiful. It's just I had a vision that I was connected to to the future. So instant gratification wasn't serving me. And so when I thought about, okay, how do I want to rebuild a, a sexual ethic? What is it that I really want? What is it that I'm looking for? Well, ultimately, I want a long-term, meaningful, monogamous relationship that I hope leads to marriage. I want to have children. And what for me is going to is going to push that needle forward and help me stay in alignment with my heart and my values. So it wasn't going from one extreme to the next, which I think can be really easy. And I definitely had some space in there where I, you know, went on other sides of the story. But for me, it was what's a, I feel like truth. I don't know what you think about this, David, but I think truth often lies somewhere between the two extremes. Mm. 
And so that's why I wanted to reconstruct. I didn't just want to say, okay, well, religion told me this. So screw that. Let me go all the way over here. I think maybe I'm a cynic at heart (laughs) or a skeptic. And I'm like, why are you telling me that I should want what I want when I want it? I don't know if that is what I want. Sure, sure. So yeah, I don't know if that's answering the question or not. No, this is great. I mean, what I hear you saying is, um, I want to make sure I got this right, but essentially I have a dream. I have a hope of something in the future mm-hmm. and, um, I wanted, I want to have values or an ethic that's in alignment that will get me my dream that will get me what I want. Mm-hmm. And by throwing all of this out, it's ultimately not going to get me what I want. It, it might have some momentary pleasure, but it's not going to ultimately get me what I want. Um, that's interesting because you're, I'm not, um, I guess one of the, one of the things, uh, you know, it's funny because this, this conversation has me pausing a lot more than any other conversation because (laughs) I have lived this path, you know, Mm -hmm. that you've lived to somewhat degree, not, Mm -hmm. not to the degree that you're living it. I mean, I'm just saying I've been brought up in a similar circle. My daughter's 21. Mm -hmm. My son is 18. You know, I process these things to go, Hmm. Uh, what have we taught our kids and how is that going to play out about their bodies and sexuality and, and uh, how much fear is involved in that? I grew up in a home where we didn't talk about sex at all. I was 13 and my dad kind of handed me this book. The name of the book was almost 13 and he's like, read this book. And I'm like, I read it. He's like, do you have any questions? I'm like, no. And that was it. Like that was the extent of our conversation about sex forever. Um, and so thankfully my wife had more of a open conversation with her parents and she has kind of led the way, thankfully with our kids and me <laughs> facilitating that conversation. Mm-hmm. She's so awesome. So, um, I think that, um, the thing that I find interesting about your book and the story is you go, this is what the Bible says. And that's what I've believed, at least a certain interpretation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Now I'm hearing you say, um, but that interpretation of the Bible doesn't really align with the, the God or the life that I want, because it seems to be more fear or shame oriented. Then I'm hearing you say, okay, but I'm deconstructing that. And I have come to a place where are you asking is, is the starting point for your, your reconstruction? What does the Bible really say? Mm-hmm. Or is your starting point? What kind of life do I want? And I want to have those values that align with the life that I want. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So I, I heard a kind of a couple of different questions. And just to clarify, I don't believe I was given a Bible message about sex in my body. Mm-hmm. I believe I was given a set of rules. Yeah. And a list of do's and don'ts and narratives that were derived somewhere probably in the Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... I think what felt just true in my gut was I just felt like, man, if what I believe about God is true, then like, then the exhale of God is the creation story, like Mm -hmm. creation being burst forth. And I don't think God makes bad things. And so if I'm adhering to a narrative that's saying I'm bad, then is that really what the text says? Mm -hmm. So for me, it wasn't saying the text is bad. The Bible is bad. I didn't know what the Bible had to say. All Mm -hmm. I knew is what people told me that it said. 
Sure, sure. And so the deconstruction was going and seeing for myself what it said mm-hmm. and finding out, okay, there, yeah, there, there are some pretty clear invitations in scripture that invite people to avoid sexual activity outside of marriage. Like, okay, that's, that's in there. Mm-hmm. And so in that, I get to decide if that is something I want to adhere to. And so then part of that reconstruction process after seeing, okay, well, yeah, the Bible does say these things. And, and also the Bible said that God cares about my heart and not just behavior modification or quote unquote, doing the right things. Like if I'm doing the right thing with the wrong heart, then I might as well not even doing the quote unquote right thing. Mm -hmm. So if God has a story for my heart in this, then there has to be a why. And so for me, it was kind of adhering to Simon Sinek's golden circle theory of everyone knows what they do. Some people know how to do it. Very few people know why they do it. So I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, if there is this invitation to avoid sex outside of marriage, I want to know if there, why? So I, that's for me, when I went to my own personal experiences of dating, of okay, when I was, when I have been really physical in the past in my relationships, did that feel like a win? Well, I can see in the moment, a lot of that felt like a total win. It felt really great to be skin to skin with someone. And I loved it. I didn't feel ashamed about it at all. And I still don't. However, I know for a fact, I definitely dated, got multiple guys way longer than I ever would have dated them if we had never even kissed. I have a two guys in particular in my mind where I think, wow, if we had never gotten physical, I probably would have gone out with them once or twice and realized, oh, actually you're a jerk and I don't even like you. And so the physical for me really muddied the waters and discerning is this an actual good fit for me long-term for a Mm -hmm. partner? And because chemistry is awesome, right? But it's just, for me, I realized it's not the main thing. It's an important thing. I think if you're not sexually attracted to your partner, you just have a roommate. (laughs) So that's important, but let's just be curious about how much effort we're putting on that or I'm putting on that. And then for me, it was researching science. Is there anything compelling in science? What happens in our bodies when we orgasm? Oh, wow. Evidently, massive outpourings of oxytocin and dopamine are are released, which then create new neural pathways in our brain, which are like these, the bicycle paths in our brain. And that's why there's quite a few anthropologists and scientists like women like Helen Fisher, who don't even believe there's anything, any such thing as casual sex. Because the oxytocin, which is the human bonding hormone and the dopamine, the reward center of our brain simply won't allow for it. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, wow, that's really interesting that, that science even would say that casual sex is questionable. You're saying there's such a deep connection between people during an orgasm. Well, because of the hormones released. Right, right. The hormones released. And then on top of that, real learning stuff in my scientific research that um, there, there's like this cultural narrative that says, oh my gosh, if you get married or are in a monogamous relationship, it's the death to good sex. It's the death to spont- spontaneity. You have to be with one person for the rest of your life. Imagine everything that you're missing out on. So I looked into that. And actually the dopamine that's released in physical intimacy, that's dopamine is the gold star 
hormone in our brain. So it's like when the kindergartner raises her hand and she gets a gold star on her chart, pretty soon she gets enough gold stars that she knows, oh, I don't even have to get a gold star. I know that I raised my hand. So it's a pattern maker. That dopamine is a pattern maker. So actually in my research, I found that a long-term monogamous relationship actually it doesn't have to be the death of awesome sex. It can be the beginning of the best sex in your life because the longer you have sexual encounters with the same person over a long span of time, the more your body is trained neurologically to expect arousal and fulfillment from that avenue. And so pretty soon it can be you know, 10 years in, 15 years in, even the thought of them can become arousing. And so I, I just thought that the more research I did, the more I felt, man, there's some really compelling reasons for me to withhold from sex and to put a, put a pause on that in my dating relationships and in ways that I felt like, wow, that actually, I wonder if God says to wait, not because God is like this cosmic killjoy mm-hmm. or God hates sex, but what if God actually has a high view of sex? And then there's parts in science that would kind of reveal that to be true as well. So that was the reconstruction for me. It was just, let's look at science. Let's look at my own experience. Let's talk to therapists and see what they have to say. And there's even Esther Perel is this really well-known therapist. And she says something along the lines of, you know, death of intimacy isn't marriage. It's the beginning of it. Like marriage is the beginning of intimacy. And so, yeah, those are some of my thoughts on that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for sharing all that. Mm. And so if uh, friends in New York uh, that you've shared this with, I assume you've got to have at least colleagues, people that you work with alongside that go, you're crazy. Like this is completely unrealistic, unrealistic mm-hmm. that you would, there must be something wrong with you, Kat. Like this is unrealistic that you would ever propose this for anybody. I don't care what science or the Bible or anything says. Mm-hmm. This is unrealistic. I yeah. assume you've had multiple people tell you this. Well, I don't propose this for anyone. This is what I, this is the path I've chosen. Mm -hmm. And my heart is for anyone who, whether you are reading my book or we are, have a, a collision would be that you would get to walk out in your relationships and your sexual desire from a place of agency and autonomy, from a place of holistic freedom. And so if I don't care if you don't agree with me. That's great. Figure out something that that works for you. And you, um, I would say I thought people would think I was insane, but I am shocked at the support I get. And most of my friends do not, most of my close friends, the people I'm doing life with on a daily basis, don't share my faith, don't share my worldview, definitely do not share my sexual ethic. And yet they have been the ones that have been like, you have to write this book. You have to share your story. And so I think more so I had a narrative in my own head, a limiting belief that said, what I believe about sex and the decision I'm making is shameful. And I'm going to be rejected if I share it. Yeah. And actually... Some people are going to agree. Some people are not. And that's not my responsibility. But actually, I think 
when we're coming from a place of freedom and not judgment or shame, I think that resonates. Mm -hmm. And if anything, wherever you land on the conversation of sex, no sex, all the sex, however many partners you want or not, I would hope that any out of any of this, it would just start up a conversation, whether it's you talking to a friend being like, I heard this whack conversation. This crazy girl doesn't have sex. And that allows you to have a meaningful conversation with a person in your life. I think then I've done my job. Mm -hmm. I like what you talked about. I'm not going to get it right, but I read in your book, the talk, the difference between feeling like you don't have agency. If I'm told a rule as a, somebody growing up, you're not supposed to do this because God doesn't want you to, or the, the Bible doesn't say, but then you actually gain agency by saying, and tell me what you, I can't remember it exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think language is super important. I think we're constantly speaking life or death over ourselves and others. And so for me, I say, I am choosing to wait until marriage to have sex. Not, I have to wait until marriage to have sex. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything my whole life. Well, I mean, if I don't breathe, I die. Um, but I, I, I want to show up in my life in every aspect, whether it's my career, my relationships, my physical fitness from I get to, I choose to. Because when I have to, that makes me victim to ex- every, the world around me. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we're victims. Things happen to us that are unfair and unjust. And I also think we we have more authority over our, and responsibility over our lives than we give ourselves credit for. And mm-hmm. so the the example that I love is a friend of mine says there's two types of people and there there's two people. They're both trying to quit smoking and they both get offered a cigarette and one says, "Oh man, no, I'm really 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 trying I'm trying to quit. Ooh, I I want one, but I'm I'm just trying to quit." And the other one says, "I'm not a smoker." And so the first is, oh, I should quit. (laughs) It's bad for me. I should quit. So externally motivated. The second person from the inside out has decided I'm identifying with a new identity. I'm not a smoker. So I think in any part of our lives, romantically, sexually, career-wise, to pause and say, am I being externally motivated here? Because if I am that's not sustainable. Only when we're internally motivated with anything will we see lasting results in our lives. Very powerful. Very powerful. Um, Talk to me about um, this idea of getting back in touch with our bodies in terms of sensuality, Mm. Um, whether we're single or I think that chapter was very powerful, no matter if you're single or married or wherever you find yourself in life. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I think for me, sensuality for a long time felt almost weird and, oh, you know, sexy time and candles dripping with wax and satin nighties. And, and it felt kind of scary to me. And then I had a friend that told me, you know, sensuality is just being present. It's being alive to your senses. And in fact, if we think about what makes a beautiful pleasurable sexual encounter and experience. It's really the practice and discipline of being able to be present. (laughs) It's why we hear in the movies and on talk shows, I'm not in the mood because the dishes aren't done or I needed to send that email. So really part of 
part of being connected to our desire, whether we're in a relationship, out of the out of a relationship, wherever we are in that journey, is being able to practice being present. And and so I'll make it practical. <laughs> so becoming alive to your senses is something like I'm going to invite people over for dinner tonight and we're going to have awesome food and wine and everyone is going to leave their phones and this bowl at the front door so that we can be present with each other and be fully here. If I want to be present and get out of work mode, something that I can do is connect with my heart. Well, what does it mean to connect from your head to your heart? Well, a great way to do that is by connecting to your breath. Like literally connecting to our breath takes us from our brain to our body. It's why when runners run, they say I there's things like runner's high. It's the hormones release, but it's also you spending time just you, the road, and your breath. So whether that's a workout or doing boxed breathing, getting getting something to where you can pause and not have other distractions. And maybe just for these 10 breaths, all I'm focusing on is breathing. That's connecting with my senses. It's also why people really love smoking cigarettes outside of the nicotine. Five, six times a day, you get to leave the stress of your day, get out of your head, step outside and take five minutes of deep breaths. So I think when we kind of expand our view of sensuality, isn't just for the bedroom. It's Mm. really a lifestyle of being present. If you're bored, maybe in that moment, instead of reaching for your phone and scrolling through social media, maybe you just sit with yourself. I feel Mm. bored right now. What does it feel like when I feel bored? (laughs) When, I, when you're at a stoplight, instead of taking out your phone or sending a text, what does it look like around me? What does it smell like? What are the colors of the other cars? And, and so just making it really practical because mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know about you, but I just think that we're a very unpresent, distracted mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, you know, this book, I'm familiar with the publisher, uh, Zondervan, and uh, I was one, really surprised that they would publish your book. Um, and two, uh, even gr- more so surprised that they would allow you to include a giant chapter on masturbation. Um, wow. Like you went for it in that chapter in a couple of different ways. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, why did you feel the need to include masturbation and help me understand your viewpoint on it, which is very unique um, from a faith perspective. Yeah. Why did I include it? Because it's the number one question I get asked all the time from people of faith. Can I masturbate? Is masturbation a sin? And I, I realized it's kind of It's the question that everyone in the room wants to talk about, but no one wants to say it out loud. And someone just has to be willing to go there first. And then once you do, everyone's like, thank you so much. So for me, it felt so important. That was, I mean, when I pitched the book, it was my sample chapter. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I... I wanted them to know from the very beginning, this is what you're getting yourself into. I'm I'm not going to shy away from these topics. And, and a few reasons why is one, 
we have got to stop making our bodies, pleasure, sex, taboo. The most normal thing about being a human is experiencing desire. Every person in their life is going to get turned on. It's, it's normal. It's normal. And so why are we so ashamed to talk about it? And so my heart is whether you agree with me or not on masturbation is it's going to get you talking about a topic that we need to normalize. And I think there is a lot, there's a lot of things in there, um, that feel important to me. And one is it's again, kind of, let's look at this holistically. What, what happens in our bodies in orgasm? Okay. So we know that, um, dopamine and oxytocin is released. And I think that there can be some really damaging parts of masturbation, which is no surprise to, I I think people of faith circles, we see people getting neck deep in porn addictions and porn is something that I won't ever support for a number of reasons. One of them being it Porn directly supports human trafficking, and I just can't get down with that. Um, but then saying, okay, well, so is porn and masturbation mutually exclusive? Well, no, it's it's not because people have been touching themselves since the dawn of time, and that was well before there was porn or pornographic images. And then from there, I, I saw, okay, well, an, another maybe negative from masturbation is and I quote C.S. Lewis, the author of Chronicles of Narnia and this big Christian uh, apologist or whatever you want to call him, theologian. And, you know, he really doesn't like masturbation. And he says it's because it makes us a prison to the harem within. So when you, he says, love is supposed to take us outside of ourselves, but with self-pleasure, we end on ourselves. And, you know, the harem within never, basically never asks you, did you pay the water bill? Uh, or it doesn't require you to be sacrificial or serving the others. It puts you at the center of your universe. Mm-hmm. Self-centered. So, self-centered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought, wow, okay, those are some real good reasons to avoid masturbation. It, and is it possible, if that's true, can we also explore the possibility that it could be a win? And what would that like? What would those scenarios like that look like? And a few of those things for me were looking into research like babies, like male babies get erections all the time, and little girls. I mean, I remember being in elementary school and sliding down the pole at recess and being like, whoa, <laughs> that feels good. I that wasn't anything that was dirty or gross mm-hmm. or me watching porn on TV. I just learned, oh, like there's something in between my legs that feels really good when there's pressure on it this way. And so I felt like what so if 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 kids are able to sort of experience their bodies and touch their bodies in innocence, is it possible that we could also experience pleasure as adults in innocence? Mm-hmm. Because if we look at the scriptures, the invitation of Jesus is to become like a child again, have childlike faith and experience awe and wonder. And so I and another thing that came to my mind was okay, if I want to, if I see in the scriptures things like Song of Songs in the Old Testament, where the the book starts off with 
the bride saying to her groom, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And then she goes on and invites him to go down on her and give her oral sex. And that is an empowered woman right there in the pages of scripture, a woman who knows this is what feels good in my body. And so I have to know my body in order to give enthusiastic and informed consent. Mm -hmm. So is it possible that in order to give enthusiastic informed consent, like we are very pro in our culture, I would say, um, then that means I need to know my body. I need to know, oh, this feels good. This doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And, And then another thing that I wonder is, if I judge my own desire, if I think my own pleasure is gross and bad and disgusting, if I think my genitalia is gross, I can only, I can only love someone as much as I accept myself. Mm. But, you know, there's a scripture that says, love your neighbor as yourself. And often we stop at the invitation that says, love your neighbor. But what's mm-hmm. implicit is that I first am able to love myself. And so I thought, man, I wonder if part of being able to really accept my partner's desire is by me acknowledging my own desire and, and accepting it and thinking it's beautiful and good. And so all of that to say is, I think the chapter is all about me I'm not answering the question, do I think you should or you shouldn't masturbate? I think you get to look at all of that and then ask yourself, like, who am I becoming? And what is it that I want? And Mm -hmm. is it possible that there are times when I could choose to masturbate and it could be destructive for me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's possible. Is it also possible that there could be times where I engage in pleasure and it could help me feel connected to my body? It could help me give informed consent. It could help me stay connected to my spouse who might be overseas and we have to have a phone call. (laughs) And so I think I'm open to that possibility. And I think if we want to look at any topic with freedom, we have to give ourselves permission to look at every side of it. So for Mm -hmm. me, it's let's, if we're, if we're going to look at how bad this can be, can we also flip the script and see if there is possibility for benefits and health here? And if so, then why don't we just, why don't we empower each other to figure out for ourselves if this would be a win or not? Mm -hmm. What do you think? (laughs) I think that you've done a great job of asking a lot of questions and coming up with, you know, answers that you feel good about. Like that, I don't say that in a negative way. Like I, mm-hmm. um, but I think you've done a great job of teasing out the fear and the shame and asking deeper questions. And I think it'll make a lot of people squirm and maybe those people probably won't read the book, but I think it's good. I think the book is going to really help a lot of people. And I see this book, um, man, I, I really see this book, uh, reaching a, a, a large Christian audience. I don't know how much it'll go beyond that. You know, we'll see, but you, you are very articulate in the way that you're processing these things. Um, I definitely uh, want both of my kids to read the book. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I can get them to read the book uh, because they both are reading tons for college, but um, mm-hmm. I definitely want them to both uh, read this book. So um that's a, that's a big compliment. Uh, oh, wow. for, yeah, I would say lot. for sure. Yeah, I will definitely, I will buy two copies and we'll <gasps> see if they get read. So the book is called sexless in the city, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating desire and sex. 
Kat, are you, um, you are, you're no less valuable because you are single, right? That's right. That's right. That's Without right. a doubt, hundred <laughs> percent. And yet I hear that you say you want to get married. There's a desire inside of you. Mm-hmm. Do you have someone in your life right now? <laughs> Wouldn't you love to know? Um, I am currently single and ready to mingle. Always down for a setup. You have anyone for me? I'm just saying, you know, somebody <laughs> might be listening that that knows somebody. So I just want to make sure that we've got that out there. I want to hey, give you. Hey, we're just putting that out there. Exactly. Yeah. If you want a strong woman who knows what she wants, <laughs> she's an incredible thinker. She's beautiful. She's like fit. She's ready to like. She's the money maker in the family. I'm just going to tell you that. Like, <laughs> you may be staying home with the kids. All right. If you're marrying Cat Harris. <laughs> I always, I joke that I'm looking for the Jay-Z to the, to the Beyonce. I, I'm, I want to be, I want that power couple, you know, I'm, okay. I'm not looking for someone who is perfect or necessarily has it all together, but a man that has a vision for his life, has integrity and that we can really link arms and support each other and encourage one another. And so. All right. So yeah. you're not staying at home with the kids. You're getting a nanny for sure. Like she does not want <laughs> you to stay at home. You've got two nannies. Or no, I'm just, I'm just, you know, the baby's strapped on me. We're, you know, taking names. You know, we'll we'll do the football pass of the kid. <laughs> I like we'll it. Who knows? <laughs> may it happen. Yeah. And may it happen at just the right time for your life, his life, and the baby's lives. <laughs> Amen. All right. So the refinedwoman.com is where they can find you all over the web and social media, right? That's right. All right, April 20th, 2021. So let's see, can I pre-order? I'm going to look at the Amazon list right here. I can pre-order. Yeah, you sure can. Okay. And it would, I would love it if you ordered it. (laughs) I'm going to to pre-order two copies. Oh my gosh. Right now. Oh my gosh. Right when we get off for my kids. (gasps) Thank you so much. That means so much to me. Thank you. This has been so much fun. I I'm so grateful that you held the space for this conversation and we're open to it and open to me. And it's just been so much fun. Hey, congrats on listening to another episode of Inspiration Rising. Why congrats? Because you're pouring education and inspiration into your mind and heart. And that's something we all need if we're going to grow our businesses and reach our goals in life. Now, if you enjoy Inspiration Rising, do us a favor share it with a friend. Take a screenshot of your favorite episode and text it to them. Tell them to search for Inspiration Rising on their favorite podcast app and click subscribe. And if you haven't already, be sure to sign up for Inspo Text. That's our daily inspirational text messages. Just text me right now at 949-401-6090. That's 949-401-6090. Just say, hey, Dave, what's up? You'll get an automated reply with a link where you can add yourself as a contact. And of course, you can always unsubscribe. I want you to know today that you're inspired, empowered, and loved. Not because of the way you feel or what anyone else says about you, but because that's your true identity. Mm -hmm.